right. Well, good morning. Welcome to Blackhawk Church. My name is Daniel Owen, and I'm the lead pastor at Blackhawk Fitchburg. And I'm so excited to be here with you guys today. So I just want to say welcome to those of you here in the live room, as well as those who are watching and our venues across our city, whether that's the gallery or Fitchburg or downtown, or if you're watching online or listening on our podcast, however you're listening, we're glad that you are with us. Before we move to our proverb today, I want to just quickly share how thankful we are at Blackhawk Fitchburg for the next four months. In fact, the coming months are going to be big for us because we're going to be transitioning to our new home. And uh, yeah, it's really coming along and coming together quite well. And so I just wanted to say thank you to all of you who are part of Blackhawk Church. Because of your generosity, you've made this possible. Now, if you're new or visiting, you may be wondering, what, you, what is he talking about? We at Blackhawk Fitchburg, which is one of our sites, is, have been meeting in Savannah Oaks Middle School for the last six years now, setting up and tearing down. We have a great number of volunteers who make church happen there every Sunday, including this Sunday. And, uh, but to be honest, we're ready to get to this place. And uh, so we're quite excited about that. And again, just wanted to say thank you to all of you because your generosity made it possible. It's so cool. Today we are in the second week of our series called Word to the Wise. And we are gonna be looking at Proverbs number seven, Proverbs chapter seven. But before we get to that proverb, I wanna share with you something that just absolutely fascinates me, and it's called an orchid mantis. Check this out, I have a video for you. This is an orchid mantis right here. It looks like it's an actual flower. In fact, it looks just like an orchid flower itself. But what makes it so amazing is that it uses something called aggressive mimicry. You see that? Yeah, so it looks so much like a flower that it actually doesn't need to be around other flowers to seduce its prey. Its colors and the petals that are on its limbs are so vivid and they're so bold that it just lures its prey right into its grasp. Now you notice the mantis, it doesn't chase its prey in any way, right? It doesn't go after it, but instead it seduces it. It, it gets its prey to change the direction and the path that it's on to turn to it and to come right into its grasp. It's really a really cool animal. Now, it is cool, but it is also tragic because of course the insects die. So in a way, it is a deadly seduction. And that's how it relates to the proverb we're gonna look at today. Proverbs seven is a deadly seduction. It's all about seduction, how it occurs, how it happened, how it appeals to us, and how we become seduced into uh, the seducer's grasp, in a way. Now, before we get to that, I wanna say something quickly. This, this is a very narrow proverb, all right? It's very narrowly focused. It's a father talking to his son about how uh, a married woman wants to seduce young men. And that sounds kind of strange. But during Solomon's time, uh, relationships between men and women were quite different. They, weren't, they didn't have dating apps like we do today. There were no Tinder or Bumble. Um, marriages were, in fact, arranged. So a young unmarried woman was at home with her father. Or if she went into the town, she would be chaperoned by someone. So it wasn't realistically possible for uh, Solomon's son, who's probably about 15 or 16, to be seduced by a young unmarried woman. But a married woman whose husband is gone and wants to have sex, yeah, she could be seducing him. Now for us, the day is quite different. Today we live in a very highly sexualized culture. There are many avenues of sexual seduction. Anybody can seduce anybody. 
There are even hookup apps for your phone for people who want to have one-night stands, that people can get connected that way. There are websites and apps that are actually made for married people to have affairs. One of those websites' slogan is, life is short, have an affair. Yeah. NPR reported in 2015 that over 37 million people were a part of that website's database. We live in a very different culture. I've just named a few things. So how could someone resist sexual seduction in the culture that we live in today? Well, it's actually the same in what Solomon was teaching his son. It's that only a person who has wisdom, only a person who has wisdom can resist sexual seduction because wisdom keeps you on the right path. And it makes you, it, it keeps you on the right path so that you don't stray into the seducer's grasp. Now, I know that some of you may be thinking right now, oh great, an evangelical pastor talking about lust, talking about sexual seduction. I know where this is going. Hey, look guys, we know, we know that in our world and even in our church that there are many different views of sexual ethics. In fact, there are many different views of what the Bible says about sexual ethics. But here at Blackhawk Church, we believe that the only sexual relationship affirmed in Scripture is between a man and a woman in a covenant called marriage. Now, we know that that is a minority position today. We know what year it is, but that's what we see in Scripture. We also know that this topic is huge, okay? The topic of sex is very big. But today, I'm only going to be able to really focus on sexual seduction and how wisdom helps us to resist that. The other thing that I just want to say is that um, this message is for all of us, myself included. Yes, my role is to be a pastor here at Blackhawk Church, but I have blood in my veins just like everyone else. You know, lust and sexual seduction are things, in fact, I pay close attention to in my life. My wife and I, we talk about it often. Because it's an area of my life I haven't always been perfect in. And we also know how destructive it can be to our relationship. And so let's engage this conversation between a father and a son. Let's engage this conversation and see what we can learn. Open your Bibles to Proverbs uh, chapter 7. I'm going to be reading from the NIV. Um, and uh, there should be scriptures on the screen. Now, the first thing I want to say is we've talked about this being a proverb of a father talking to a son. Now, of course, this could be a mother talking to a daughter or, or a mentor talking to a mentee, but just the mechanism for this proverb is a father talking to a son. So let's read. My son, keep my words and store up my commands within you. Keep my commands and you will live. Guard my teachings as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers and write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and to insight, you are my relative. They will keep you from the adulterous woman, from the wayward woman, with her seductive words. What is the father doing here? He's saying, listen to me. Trust me, son. I can see things that you can't see. He's trying to appeal to his son because he knows that his son doesn't know what he doesn't know. And his lack of understanding makes him vulnerable. It makes him vulnerable to straying into her path. And so his son needs wisdom. Because his son doesn't know the adulterous ways and the ways of her power. He, he doesn't know how seductive she can be. So he's trying to make sure and say, commit to wisdom. Commit to wisdom. The father knows that wisdom will keep him on the right path. Look at... Uh, 
Proverbs 4, verse 6. It says this, I instruct you in the way of wisdom and lead you along straight paths. You see, wisdom keeps us on the right path. It keeps us on the path that is good, that leads to things that are good. And the Father knows how important this is because the Son is frankly unprepared for how seductive she can be. And so he will be an easy target for her if he lacks wisdom. So now he moves and he shares a story with him to illustrate the power of her seduction. He also shares this story to, to lose some of the appeal or how appealing she can be. Let's read together in verse six. In fact, I'm gonna read the whole story so that we can get the whole picture of what's happening. It says this, at the window of my house, I looked down through the lattice. I saw among the simple, I noticed among the, the young men, a youth who had no sense. He was going down the street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house. At twilight, as the day was fading, as the dark of night was setting in. Then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute with crafty intent. She is unruly and defiant. Her feet never stay at home. And now in the street, now in the squares, at every corner she lurks. She took hold of him and kissed him. And with a brazen face she said, Today I fulfilled my vows, and I have food from my fellowship offering at home. So I came out to meet you. I looked for you, and I found you. I've covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt. I've perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let's drink deeply of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. My husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey, and he's took his purse filled with money and will not be home till full moon. With persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk, and all at once he followed her, like an ox going to the slaughter like a deer stepping into a noose till an arrow pierces his liver, like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. Now, why does the father tell his son this story? Because he wants to motivate him to stay away from her path. You see, the father pulls back the curtain and shows him what's happening and what will happen if he follows her. And he does this to remove the power of the woman to remove the power of her seduction. It's kind of like a musician, right? Like if a musician shows you a trick, you're like wowed and it's so amazing. But then if he shows you how he did it, the next time you see the trick, it's, it's just not that same thing. It's not as mystical or as alluring. The father is trying to take away the power of her seduction and also show that there are consequences for his actions so that he will commit to wisdom. What's really interesting about this text is that it really gives us the anatomy of seduction and how it happens. What we'll see here are basically five steps of how the seducer works. And I think it can really help us and inform us in our own life of how seduction works. So let's look at it. The first thing we see are poor decisions. Poor decisions. Look at verse seven. He said, I saw among the simple, I noticed among the young men, a youth who had no sense. See, the word for simple here is petty. What actually means is, is gullible, easily misled, easily seduced. And what makes someone who is the petty easily seduced is the fact that they lack understanding. They lack wisdom. And when someone lacks understanding or lacks wisdom, they are prone to making poor decisions. Look at verse 8. 
He says, I was going, he was, excuse me, it says, he was going down the street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house. At twilight, as the day was fading, as the dark of night was setting in. You see, it would be easy for us to say, oh, he's just at the wrong time at the wrong place. But that would mean that he was unlucky or this was random. But he made decisions, didn't he? He made decisions to go that direction at that time of night. You see, decisions really matter. Last week we learned that decisions, that the decisions we make, they turn around and they make us. And the reason is, is because decisions take us in a direction. They put us on a path that's headed for a destination. They are like a rudder in a boat or a steering wheel in your car. They chart the course for your life. Have you ever made a wrong turn before? Or have you ever missed a turn you were supposed to make? The worst is when you're on the highway, right? Like you're driving on the highway and maybe your spouse or that lovely other person sitting next to you said, hey, I think it's supposed to be that exit. And then you just fly right by it. And then you're like, oh man, that is the worst. We make a wrong turn. The hardest thing is having to recorrect that turn, right? You gotta go three miles down, get off the next exit. Hopefully you can get back on. I mean, it just messes everything up. When we have a wrong turn in life, it affects things. And that's because every little decision we make charts that path, not just the big ones. Have you ever gotten to a place in your life where you said, how did I get here? Have you ever said to yourself, man, this is a place that I thought I would never be? You know, I bet it wasn't, I bet it wasn't uh, one big decision that got you there. I bet it was a lot of little decisions, or at least that's how it was for me. Before I met Michelle, my wife, I was dating a great girl in college. She was sweet, she was kind, she was one of the first relationships that I had outside of high school. And uh, she was a Christ follower, and we went to church together. But our relationship did not reflect what we believe, at least in every area. We made a lot of poor little decisions. We put ourselves in places where we could be seduced. We hung out late at night, we made out late at night, and we put ourselves in places where we were alone. In doing this, these little poor decisions led us both to a place of doing things that we regret, even doing things that we still regret doing today. And that was hard, it was really hard. It still, it still hurts even now. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, that's not that big a deal. That's nothing. No, no, no. It is something, and it is a big deal. Yes, Jesus loved me. Yes, he didn't love me any less because of the decisions that I made. But that's not really the point. The point is, I was a Christ follower. I was committed to following Jesus, which means I was committed to following his path. When he says go left, I was supposed to go left. When he says go right, I was supposed to go right. But I didn't do that. I took, my, I took my own path. I made my own decisions. And that led me to a place I thought I'd never be. I didn't follow wisdom. I followed my desires. And that led me far from God. It led me far from God, and it led me to doing things that I knew wasn't right. You see, we made little decisions, little decisions, poor decisions that put us in a place 
that was vulnerable to seduction, just like the young man in the story. Now, I want to say this. Many of you in the room may be listening to this. You, you know what I'm talking about. Or, or you've been there, or maybe you're on your way there. One of the things about decisions and the fact that they take us in directions is that if we make a different decision, it takes us in a different direction. You know, the Bible consistently talks about the fact that God loves us and his grace is there for us. And I want to share something with you. A lot of times we feel like when we're on a path and we get far from God, we get overwhelmed with the fact that we have to look back and be like, oh man, I've got so far I have to go. And that, that kind of sometimes makes us feel paralyzed, like we don't know what to do next. You see, the best thing about God, his love is so amazing that he doesn't just let us go. In fact, he pursues us. Even when we're walking away from him, he pursues us still. So if we make the choice to turn, he's actually standing right there. He meets us right there, right where we are. And he is gracious and he is willing to walk us back to where we need to be. And he'll take us there. God's love is so amazing. But it takes us saying, hey, you know what? I wanna go a different direction. The young man in the story, he stayed on his path. He stayed in, his, in that single direction, going to her house at that time of night. And because he did, he put himself in a place where he could be seduced. The second part of the anatomy of seduction is it's attention grabbing. It will grab your attention. When you make poor decisions, you put yourselves in a place where the seducer can grab your attention. Look at what she does here in verse 13. She took hold of him and kissed him. Now this is a 15 or 16 year old boy walking down the street. A good looking woman walks out, doesn't say, hi, how are you doing? Oh, you look nice. No pleasantries, just straight up kisses him right on the mouth. What do you think he's thinking? He's not thinking. There's no blood going to his brain. It's totally bypassed his thinking. The boy has no idea of what the next thing he needs to do. However, his seducer, well, she does. She inflates the ego. That's the next step of the anatomy of seduction. Look at verse 15. I came out to meet you. I looked for you and I found you. See, she's flattering him. She's making him feel like, like he is the one for her. Like she's been waiting for him. She's saying to him, it's all about you. You're the one that I want. But guys, this is a total lie. She's not waiting for him. No, she was waiting for anyone who is willing to stray from the right path. Stray from that path right into her grasp. Just like the mantis. The mantis isn't, you know, trying to select the perfect fly. It's whatever fly will change the direction they're on and come right into its grasp. You see, she tells him a lie and tells him how great he is because she wants to inflate his ego, because she wants to manipulate him even more to lead him further astray. And the next thing she does, appeals to his senses. She entices him. Look at number four here. And the anatomy of seduction entices is the next thing. Look at verse 16. It says, I've covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt. I've perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let's drink deeply of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. She says, it's gonna feel good. It's gonna smell good. And it's gonna be fun. 
Now, this is really interesting to me because there's a little bit of truth here with all of these other lies. Sex does feel good. Even if it's outside of what God wanted or intended for us, it does feel good because he created it that way. And so she kind of puts this little bit of truth, which makes her manipulation all the more powerful, all the more seductive. And then she, she gets to the last part and she says this, it's gonna be harmless. That's the fifth part of the anatomy of seduction. Look at verse 19. My husband is not at home. He's gone on a long journey. He took his purse filled with money and will not be home till full moon. And with persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk and all at once he followed her. This is the last power move by the adulterous woman. You know what she says to him? No one's gonna know and no one's gonna get hurt. She removes the risk. She removes the consequences of their actions. She says, sex with me is gonna be all reward and no cost. It's gonna be harmless. This idea, this harmless idea of all reward and no cost is very alluring. And it's why so many men and so many women are lured into one of the most destructive sexual problems of our day, which is pornography. Take a look at this. There are more people who visit porn sites each month than Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter combined. One porn site has over 100 million uh, daily visits. That's actually up 13.7 million from the year before. And it's not just a guy thing. 30% of those who visited that site were women. And that's up 3% from the year before that. You see, pornography is no longer something you go to the red light district for. It's, no, it's not something you go to the back of the convenience store for. It's in your home. It's on your screens in your home. It's in your pocket. It's on your phone. It's accessible from anywhere within seconds. And the pornography industry wants you to believe something. They want you to believe that it's harmless. No one is getting hurt. When in fact, that's just not the case. This is pornography. It's filmmakers and and, uh, porn companies as well as production companies taking men and women and sometimes boys and sometimes girls and exploiting them to have sex on camera so that viewers can watch it. And it's not just the actors who are being exploited. In fact, it's also those viewers. In fact, look at Michael John Cusick. He wrote a book called Surfing for God. He says this. He says, behavioral addictions like porn affect the brain like drugs in all major respects. You see, pornography is not harmless, you guys. It's not harmless in any way. There are costs. The actors are being used. The viewers are being used so that the filmmakers and the production companies can make money, and they make a lot of money. It's in the billions. There's an organization called Truth About Porn that is a nonprofit, non-religious group that is trying to make our culture aware of the damage of pornography. They use research and scientists. It's really amazing. And I'm gonna show you a video. Let's take a listen. The video is powerful. It's powerful because it does the same thing that the father's doing for the son here in the proverb. It pulls back the curtain 
And it says, hey, this is what's really going on. This is what's really happening. And, and the reason why shedding light on this issue is so important is because if we shed light on it and we see it for what it really is, then we won't embrace it. In fact, we won't go near it, is the idea. I mean, take for example, if a fly knew that the orchid mantis, and what it, what it really is, which is a predator looking for its next victim, the fly would never go near it. He would never fly near it. And that's the idea with pornography and the idea of talking about sex and talking about seduction is we need to see these things for what they really, really are. Something that's trying to lure us into its grasp. Now, we know that many people are listening to this message. And it's highly likely that someone listening to this message is struggling with pornography or addicted to pornography. We at Blackhawk Church, we want to help. And here's how we want to go about that. We are going to be doing a book group study starting in September, okay? And it's going to be on Monday nights. And it's one of the best ways to... Uh, this book is really good. I read it. It's a really, really good book. And this book will help you effectively battle the temptation of pornography. Now, we realize this is a sensitive topic, all right? We want to make this next step easy for anyone who wants to take it. So we have offered a confidential way for anyone who would like to register for this study uh, or ask questions or like to talk to someone about the struggle of pornography. And you can simply find a link to do this on our Next Steps blog. You go to our Next Steps blog here and you'll find a confidential link to be able to register for this book study or ask questions about pornography or to talk to someone further. This, this issue is sensitive, but it needs to have light shed on it. That's important and valuable. In fact, the blog actually has um, a couple things. I put some links to Fight the New Drug, which is also a non-religious, non-partisan uh, group who's generating awareness about the damage of pornography. Those were where the stats came from earlier. And Truth About Porn uh, is on there. So if you'd like to learn more about this destructive seduction, you can go to our blog and see that there. So this is really the anatomy of seduction. As we look at it, it's poor decisions. It starts there, which puts you in a place where a seducer can grab your attention, inflate your ego, entice you, and then try to take away all the risk and say it's going to be harmless. This is how seduction works. And the key is that it starts with poor decisions, which is why we need wisdom. Wisdom is the ability to make good decisions. And the Father in this text, as well as any of us listening in this, we know that if we make good decisions, that will keep us on the right path. It won't allow us to stray into the seducer's grasp. And that's how the Father closes. Look at verse 24. He says, Now then, my son, listen to me. Pay attention to what I say. Do not let your heart turn to her ways or stray into her paths. Many are the victims she has brought down. Her slain are mighty throng." Her house is a highway to the grave, leading down to the chambers of death. You see, he's saying, son, listen to me. Listen, I can see things that you can't, and I can help you. And one of the things that he says is, don't let your heart turn to her ways, which that's kind of interesting. Today in our culture, I think I hear a lot people saying, um, follow your heart, right? But what does the Bible say? Look at Jeremiah 17, 9. It says this, the heart is deceitful, above all things. You see, the heart can't be trusted. 
Let me ask you a question. Does your heart tell you the truth or does your heart tell you what you want to hear? For me, in my experience, it's often the latter. My heart is really good at justifying the things that I want. The emotions and the passion that, that I have in my heart lead me that way. And so, as the Father said, we have to keep our heart turned towards things that are right, turned toward wisdom. He closes by talking about how uh, this adulterous woman is the highway to the grave. And in fact, the word for grave here is Sheol, which does mean grave, but it also means place of the dead. It's really looking to an eternal separation from God. When we resist God, when we walk away from him and we continue in that direction, we are far from God, for sure. And if we continue to resist God, in fact, we lose the ability to see right from wrong. Look at what it says here in Proverbs 4, 19. But the way of the wicked is like a deep darkness, and they do not know what makes them, stum what makes them stumble. You see, if we resist God, we walk in darkness. And if we do it long enough, we'll lose the ability to see. That's why we need wisdom. We need wisdom because it will help us see. It will help us see the path that we need to be on and how to stay on that path. How you guys doing? It's been a lot today. It's been a lot today. I wanna to leave you with two things from this proverb that I think can really, really help us. The first thing is this, trusted relationships. This passage is a father talking to a son. This is a trusted relationship, and that father's able to say, hey, son, I can see things that you can't. I need you to trust me, because on that path you're headed down, there are some serious trip hazards. Do you have anyone in your life speaking into your life in that kind of way, sharing wisdom with you? Do you have anyone who's able to see the path that you're on and say, hey, watch out for this? Trusted relationships are where we find wisdom because it's people that we respect. It's people that actually care about our best. Maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a parent, Maybe it's a counselor. Maybe it's a home group leader. We all need a trusted relationship in our life. In fact, one of the ones that I have, we talk uh, routinely, and one of the questions that we ask each other, we ask each other this question. We say, is there anything that you should tell me that you're not telling anyone else? And I just share that with you because that's, I think, a helpful question because the things we want to hide are the things that end up having power over us. You see, we need trusted relationships because they point us in the right direction. And if we're going the wrong way, they help us to see the right next step. You see, decisions matter, right? They take us in directions, they put us on a path. And what's great is the fact that no matter where you're at, a different decision changes that direction. Maybe you're struggling with pornography. Maybe you're in a dating relationship that's going in a direction you don't want it to go. Maybe you're having an affair. Maybe you're thinking about having an affair. The direction you're going, the path that you're on, is that the direction you want to go? Because if you want to change, you can change. No matter how far we think we've got from the path, God has been pursuing you. He pursues us all the way. So what that means is that if we're willing to turn, 
He will be right there. And I want to encourage you, don't get overwhelmed by how far you think you've gone. The right next step is what matters most. Because if you make that right next step, then you can make the right next step after that and after that. You see, we serve a God of love. We serve a God of grace. He's not here to shame you. He's not here to guilt you. And you know why? Because those things don't bring about change. But grace does. Grace does. And his love is full of grace for you and for me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we have, um, Lord, we've talked about a lot of things today. Lord, your word, God has really pulled back the curtain and showed us a lot of truth about, um, Lord, about seduction, about sexual temptation in our world today. Lord, we need you. We need you to pursue us when we walk away. We need you to continue to pursue us even if we resist. And I'm so thankful that we serve a God who does that. Lord, I pray for each one of us in the room. Lord, we all have a next step we can take. Lord, help us to know what that is and to take it. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.